Section 51 of Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Evanston. Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. Case Studies. Chapter 10, Part 3. Research on Protective Clothing. In late 1951, following the first Desert Rock exercise, the government conducted Operation Jangle, a nuclear test series that detonated two nuclear weapons, one on the surface and one buried 17 feet underground. The two jangle shots were tests where the weapon's fireball touched the ground. When a nuclear weapon's fireball touches the ground, it creates much more local fallout than an explosion that bursts in the air. Consequently, these tests posed some potential hazard to civilians who lived near the test site and to test observers and participants. Two weeks before jangle, the DOD requested an additional 500 observers at each of the jangle shots to acclimate the troops to nuclear weapons. The AEC advised against the additional participants, declaring that, quote, this, the first detonation, was an experiment which had never been performed before and the radiological hazards were unpredictable, end quote. In the AEC's view, no one should approach ground zero for three or four days after the surface shot. The AEC seems to have been successful in persuading the Department of Defense not to include the extra observers, but the DOD did not agree to the AEC's suggestion on approaching ground zero. Four hours after the first shot, the DOD conducted research involving troops who were accompanied by radiation safety monitors. Eight teams of men walked over contaminated ground for one hour to determine the effectiveness of protective clothing against nuclear contamination. Similar tests were conducted after the second shot at Jangle, but this time after a longer period. Five days after the shallow underground shot, Men crawled over contaminated ground, again to determine the effectiveness of protective clothing. Other men rode armored vehicles through contaminated areas to check the shielding effects of tanks and to check the effectiveness of air-filtering devices. According to the final report, the protective clothing was, quote, adequate to prevent contact between radioactive dust and the skin of the wearer, end quote. The information on this research is limited. The only mention of the subjects in the report reads, quote, The volunteer enlisted men, too numerous to mention by name, who participated in the evaluation of protective clothing, were of great assistance, which is gratefully acknowledged, end quote. It is likely that, at the time, these men were not viewed as subjects of scientific research, but rather as men who had volunteered for a hazardous or risky assignment. 
we know nothing about what these men were told about the risks or whether they felt they could have refused the assignment if they had an interest in doing so the jangle activities are a good illustration of difficulties in drawing boundaries in the military between activities that are research involving human subjects and activities that are not although the jangle evaluation was likely not considered an instance of human research at the time it has many similarities to ground crawling activity conducted several years later not in conjunction with a nuclear test that was treated as research involving human subjects in nineteen fifty eight ninety soldiers at camp stoneman in pittsburgh california were asked to perform quote, typical army tactical maneuvers end quote, on soil that had been contaminated with radioactive lanthanum the soldiers were then monitored for their exposure to study beta contamination from this non-penetrating form of radiation in 1963 soldiers were again asked to maneuver on ground contaminated with artificial fallout this time at camp mccoy in wisconsin the plans for the 1958 maneuvers which were administered by the navy's radiological defense laboratory had been submitted for secretarial approval as was required for biomedical experiments involving navy personnel in accordance with the navy rules the soldiers signed quote, written statements of voluntary participation end quote. during the nineteen sixty three experiments the army processed the activity under its nineteen sixty two regulation on human experimentation a r seventy dash twenty five this rule a public codification of the secretary of defense's nineteen fifty three nuremberg code rule also required secretarial review and written consent cloud penetration experiments Quote, what are the dangers to be encountered by the personnel who fly through the cloud how much radiation can they stand how much heat can the aircraft take can the ground crews immediately service the aircraft for another flight if so what precautions are necessary to ensure their safety End quote. the air force felt that it was essential to answer these questions to do so it carried out experiments including some with animals and a few with humans at the first atomic tests the military used remote controlled aircraft called drones to enter and gather samples from atomic clouds in order to estimate the yield and learn the characteristics of the weapon being tested military pilots did however track mushroom clouds gathering information and plotting the cloud's path in order to warn civilian aircraft during a nineteen forty eight test a cloud tracker piloted by colonel paul fackler inadvertently got too close to a cloud but after the accident colonel fackler commented quote, no one keeled over dead and no one got sick End quote. colonel fackler's experience 
in Air Force history later recorded, showed that man flight through an atomic cloud, quote, would not necessarily result in a lingering and horrible death, end quote. Some of the trackers had sniffers on their aircraft to collect small samples. The Air Force conducted experimental sampling missions at 1951 tests and later permanently replaced the drones with manned aircraft because drones were difficult to use and they often did not get the quality samples of the atomic cloud that Atomic Energy Commission scientists desired. By Operation Teapot, 1955, the AEC considered the testing of a nuclear device, quote, largely useless, end quote, unless sampler aircraft were used to obtain fission debris that would be used to estimate the nuclear weapon's performance. As the sampling mission became routine, a new mission in the clouds began. At Teapot, the Air Force performed the first manned, quote, early cloud penetration, end quote. The phrase was used by the Air Force to refer to missions conducted as soon as minutes after detonation of the test weapon. The main purpose was to discover the radiation and turbulence levels within the cloud at early times after detonation. Like the first sampling missions, the first early cloud penetration missions were conducted by unmanned drone aircraft. In 1951, Colonel, now General, E. A. Pinson, an Air Force scientist who had earlier conducted tracer experiments on himself and other scientists, placed mice aboard a drone aircraft. In 1953, he flew mice, monkeys, and instrumentation in drone aircraft through atomic clouds. Pinson concluded that the radiation risk from flying manned aircraft through atomic clouds could be controlled by monitoring the external gamma dose. But the Air Force was not convinced and asked Pinson to follow up the animal experiments with studies with humans during Operation Teapot, 1955, and Operation Red Wing, 1956, to confirm the results. This research appears to have involved a small number of subjects, perhaps in the range of a dozen or so. Pinson designed the human experiments to, quote, learn exactly how much radiation penetrates into the human system, end quote, when humans flew through a mushroom cloud. The Air Force had pilots swallow film contained in small watertight capsules. The film was attached to a string held in their mouths so that it could be retrieved at the end of the mission. When the film was retrieved, the researchers compared the exposures measured inside the human body with those measured on the outside. They found that the doses measured outside the body were essentially identical to the doses inside the body. This was a critical finding because it meant that surface measurements would be, quote, 
representative of the whole body dose. End quote. For the experiment, the AEC test manager for teapot waived the AEC's test exposure limit of 3.9 rentgens and permitted four Air Force officers to receive up to 15 rentgens whole body radiation. The exemption was, quote, based on the importance of the project to the military effects test program and the fact that radiation up to 15 R may be necessary for its successful accomplishment, end quote. When the air crews entered the atomic clouds, they measured dose rates of radiation as high as 1800 rad per hour. Since the crews were in the cloud for such a short period of time, however, the actual doses were much lower than 1800 R. The maximum reported dose received on a single mission was 17 R, higher than the 15 R authorized for the project. Since the air crews flew on several missions, two of the crew members received more than 17 R. A year later at Operation Red Wing, where the atomic and hydrogen bombs were tested, the Air Force conducted another series of experimental cloud penetrations. Part of the Red Wing experiment was to measure the hazard from inhaling or ingesting radioactive particles while flying through a mushroom cloud. When mice and monkeys were flown through clouds during earlier tests, they were placed in ventilated cages to determine the hazard from inhaling radioactive particles. The studies found that the hazard from inhalation was less than 1% of the external radiation hazard. As General Pinson put it, quote, in other words, if the internal hazard were to become significant, the external hazard would be overwhelming, end quote. To confirm this finding, Pinson undertook a similar experiment with humans, and again, as with the teapot experiment, Pinson was a subject as well as a researcher. To perform the experiment, no filters were installed in the penetration aircraft. Again, it is estimated that about a dozen subjects were involved. The military this time set the authorized dosage, the maximum dosage to which Pinson could plan to have people exposed, at 25R, and a limiting dosage, in which case a report had to be filed, at 50R. During the experiment, quote, maximum radiation dose rates as high as 800R per hour were encountered, and several flights yielded total radiation doses to the crew of 15R, end quote. To measure the internal dose of radiation, the scientists analyzed urine samples and used whole-body counters. The project, as Pinson's final report noted, marked the transition from animal experimentation to human measurement. Quote, Although a considerable amount of experimentation had been done with small animals, which were flown through nuclear clouds, 
the early cloud penetration project of operation red wing was the first instance in which humans were studied in a similar situation the results confirmed those of the animal experiments the internal hazard of radiation was insignificant relative to the external hazard consequently the researchers recommended quote, that no action be taken to develop filters for aircraft pressurization systems nor to develop devices to protect flight crews from the inhalation of fission products end quote. experimental purpose military tactics money and morale why was the air force interested in showing that atomic clouds could be penetrated soon after a detonation most important the military wanted to assure itself that it was safe for combat pilots to fly through atomic clouds if need arose during atomic war but the research did not make much of a scientific contribution researchers had already established the levels of radiation in atomic clouds by flying drone aircraft through them and there was nothing path-breaking about humans being exposed to levels of radiation under 25R. General Pinson later noted, quote, There are no research people that I know of that gave a damn about manned early cloud penetration experiments, because this is a negligible contribution to research in science scientifically you know this contributes less than i suspect anything i've ever done its only virtue is the practical use of it End quote. from the scientific perspective the data would not likely be of great use from an immediate practical perspective human data were felt to be essential for reassurance should the Air Force have been satisfied with the wealth of data it had from the drone experiments? In retrospect, Pinson found the question difficult. Quote, There's reason to say, well, you should have been satisfied with the data that had been gathered with the drones. But, you know, these are hard-nosed practical people that, that put their life on the line. And in military combat where the hazards are far greater than in this modest exposure to radiation. The budget also played a key role in cloud penetration research, as well as the related decontamination experiments, which will be discussed shortly. The Defense Department declared that the knowledge gained through its cloud penetration experiments would save, quote, the taxpayers thousands upon thousands of dollars, end quote, because there would be no need to develop special protective clothing or equipment which had been thought to be necessary. As in the case of the Hume RRO experiments and the troop maneuvers, indoctrination and morale were important forces behind the experimentation. Quote, Perhaps the most important problem of all, end quote, a popular men's magazine of the day wrote about the teapot experience, quote, might be a psychological resistance of combat pilots and crews flying into the unknown dangers of hot radioactive areas, end quote. 
the press therefore depicted the teapot experiment as a message to the world pilots can fly through atomic clouds safely research consent and volunteerism like the hume rro experiments the cloud fly-through experiments were treated as occupational rather than experimental activities none of the participants signed consent forms and waivers to dose limits were sought and approved under the process followed for the non-experimental fly-through activities in 1995 general pinson said that he had not been aware of the ethical standards declared in the 1953 secretary of defense memorandum if he had been he quote, would have gotten written consent from the people that were involved in this end quote. a 1963 air force history of the cloud sampling program does not describe the process of crew and pilot selection but does provide a perspective quote, the strategic air command pilots picked to fly the f-84g sampler aircraft were pleased to learn that they were doing something useful not serving as guinea pigs as they seriously believed when first called upon to do the sampling End quote. did the personnel understand the risks some of them surely did the aircraft carried airmen and scientific observers because the scientific observers were the very scientists who designed the experiments they certainly understood the radiation risks as well as anyone could be expected to in this way the cloud fly-through experiments exemplified the ethic of researcher self-experimentation as pinson recalled in 1995 quote, if you are going to do something like this and you think it's safe to do it then you shouldn't ask somebody else to do it the way you convince other people that at least you think it's all right is do it yourself End quote. the non-scientists were briefed and informed that the risks from their radiation exposure would be minimal a pilot in the cloud tracking activities recalled one of the briefings Quote, the scientists line up at a briefing session and tell you there's no danger if you will follow their instructions carefully. In fact, they almost guarantee it. End quote. But many of the pilots seemed to have been neither worried at the prospect of risk nor excited at the prospect of glory. Pinson, for example, described the attitude of the pilot who flew his aircraft as, quote, matter of fact, end quote. And at Operation Teapot, Captain Paul M. Crumley, project officer for the early cloud penetrations, stated, quote, We consider these flights routine. Neither the pilots nor observers are unduly concerned over the fact that no one else has flown into an atomic cloud, so soon after detonation. End quote. Decontamination experiments. In conjunction with the teapot cloud fly through experiment, the military also conducted an experiment on ground crews quote, 
to determine how soon these same aircraft could be reserviced and made ready to fly again. End quote. The Air Force used the contaminated aircraft from the early cloud penetration experiment. The research sparked a debate between the Air Force and the AEC over the costs and benefits of safety measures, a debate that was itself resolved by further experimentation. In one part of the, quote, experimental procedure, end quote, personnel, the number involved is not reported, rubbed their gloved hands over a contaminated fuselage, and in another part, quote, the bare hand was also rubbed over a surface whose detailed contamination was known and a radio autograph of the hand surfaces was made, end quote. None of the survey team exceeded the AEC's gamma exposure limit of 3.9 R. Concluding that aircraft did not need to be washed down or decontaminated after they flew through the atomic clouds, Colonel William Kiefer, Deputy Commander of the Air Force Special Weapons Center, proposed that decontamination procedures be eliminated except in extreme circumstances. This change in procedures might cause overexposures, Kiefer wrote, but they would be acceptable as long as dangerous dosages would be avoided. The proposal was not warmly received by the AEC. Los Alamosis Thomas Shipman complained that the goal should be to reduce exposures to zero. Harold Planck, a Los Alamos scientist who was in charge of the cloud sampling project and who rode along on many of the cloud sampling missions, said, quote, Kiefer simply could not understand the philosophy which regards every radiation exposure as injurious but accepts minimum exposures for critical jobs. End quote. Kiefer suggested a compromise. Test the proposal with only one or two sampler aircraft. Planck objected, but the AEC test manager promised to, quote, do everything possible to obtain a waiver of AEC operating radiological safety requirements. End quote. The Air Force carried out the study during the 1957 Operation Plumbob. An additional plane was flown through the atomic clouds created by five events to determine the hazard from the Air Force's proposed procedures. The study showed that decontamination would be necessary to prevent overexposures at test sites. In the end, the Air Force was unsuccessful in its attempt to change the decontamination procedures for sampler aircraft. We do not know how the Air Force viewed this activity. Given that it did not treat the cloud fly-throughs as an experiment, it is unlikely that the Air Force considered the ground personnel activity to be an experiment. There is no record of what the ground personnel were told or whether they were volunteers. End of section 51. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Evanston.